This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Imagine traveling on a journey through another dimension, a dimension whose boundaries are limited only by one's creativity, a journey which lies somewhere between science and imagination. Consider, if you would, a patient who has suffered a massive myocardial infarction, leaving a significant amount of damaged and non-functioning ventricular myocardium. Treatment for this patient's subsequent congestive failure does not involve diuretics and beta blockers, but rather an injection of the patient's modified stem cells into surrounding viable ventricular myocardium, resulting in the regeneration of new functioning myocardial cells, producing a restoration of the cardiac output. This isn't the storyline of a new science fiction movie, but rather ongoing work by a group of investigators at the Mayo Clinic. The destination of our journey today is regenerative medicine. This Mayo Clinic Talks podcast is one of several we will devote to this incredible field. Today we'll be discussing an introduction to regenerative medicine with Dr. Andre Terzig, the director of the Mayo Clinic Center for Regenerative Medicine, and Dr. Frederick Meyer, the executive dean for education at the Mayo Clinic. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for thank having you. us. Yes, thank well, you. This is a rather new field. And for our listeners who may not be all that familiar with regenerative medicine, why don't you tell them exactly what this is? What is regenerative medicine? First of all, thank you for introducing the field to your audience. I think we are very excited to, to share the podium with you and basically highlight some of the advances that the field has seen. The way to define regenerative medicine is probably to see it as a field that aims to restore form and function. So it's a very broad definition. The therapies today have historically been more linked to be able to reduce symptoms of disease, mitigate disease symptoms. And here with the advances in regenerative technologies, we are finally able to utter words such as curative solutions. So from a model of caring for patients, we are increasingly going towards curing disease. That's really the, the transformative aspect of regenerative medicine. I think of this as a rather new area. However, as I was doing the research on this topic before this podcast, I came across a review article actually that you wrote that uh, was from like 2013. So it's not all that new. It's been around for a while. When did regenerative medicine actually begin? Wonderful, wonderful question. You know, in the ancient times, the Greeks have already had myth around Prometheus. And the uh, story as Prometheus was highlighted probably as the first regenerative patient of sorts. So I think since then, there has been a continuous quest for a regenerative option, probably in medicine. The one that has been the most sought after is corneal transplant in ophthalmology, very early in the previous century, where you are essentially replacing a diseased cornea with a, a transplant one only for the, the stem cells of the recipient to cover 
they transplanted piece of tissue and essentially regenerate the new, new cornea. And since then, we have seen many advances, primarily in hematology, oncology with stem cell bone marrow transplants as, as some examples. And increasingly now, we're going into more solid organs and solid tissues. So where do we stand now? What are some of the advances in regenerative medicine that are either in clinical testing or are actually in practice? You mentioned corneal transplants. What else are we doing now? I think this year has seen some major breakthroughs. The introduction of so-called regenerative immunotherapies is transforming cancer care and primarily the way we treat patients with leukemias and lymphomas. That has been a clear success. The technologies known as CAR-T technologies are an example of regenerative immunotherapies. Essentially, from head to toe, there are examples that are starting to mature, and uh, we can go organ by organ, but let's say the rebuilding of new salivary glands is a big topic in otorhinolaryngology for cancer patients in the maxillofacial space. New larynx and trachea in the uh, area of aerodigestive regenerative medicine, ways to treat uh, bronchiolitis obliterance in patients that have received a lung transplant. You already mentioned the heart. It's another field, not only myocardial infarction, also in heart failure. And other areas are very regenerative medicine intense, such as orthopedic surgery, sports medicine, physical medicine, and women health being another field in gynecology and obstetrics. I will let Dr. Meyer maybe give also his opinion as a driving physician and, and surgeon who has been instrumental in initiating many of these activities over the years. Degenerative processes like Parkinson's disease, Lou Gehrig's disease, Alzheimer's disease, horrible diseases. And my belief is that regenerative technologies will be the key to treating these patients. And I find it very exciting and revolutionary. We do have clinical trials in place for spinal cord injury. Some are promising. Others are disappointing. I think the science actually is in its infancy. I mean, great strides have been made by many laboratories, but we really are in our knowledge base at our infancy. And I think once we go to the next several generations of scientists and research, then we'll start to see the evolution of fantastic new Treatments. It must be extremely exciting for those in the field of neurology and neurosurgery in that the one challenging part of uh, neurology is the lack of the ability of the neurologic structure to heal itself and uh, to recover, unlike organs such as the liver, which has remarkable ability to do that. So I, I would think you'd be really excited about the potential for uh, treating some conditions that um, you really didn't have much option to treat in the past. That's the old canon that, you know, once, uh, once a nerve cell dies, it's dead. And from the day we're born, we're losing nerve cells at a certain rate as we age. But in fact, there's good science showing that there's potential regeneration of neuronal cells in certain parts of the brain that are actually even stimulated by aerobic exercises, which is very intriguing. So that would imply that there's a huge possibility in my mind to stimulate neurogenesis within the brain. So not necessarily explanting something in, but actually stimulating our endogenous abilities to regenerate. The other interesting thing before I forget is that certain highly malignant brain tumors like glioblastoma, for example, may actually originate from stem cells within the brain. 
So if you think about it, if we under truly understand stem cell technologies and the, and the science behind it, it's possible beyond restoration, it's possible that this may give us new insights into treating primary cancers in the body. So I think it's multiple fold. Well, how do you see regenerative science really affecting patient care? How will you go about selecting your patients? How will this work? A very important question. I think, first of all, as you have heard, on one hand, we have a growth of these disruptive, really, technologies that are changing the way we see disease and how we approach disease. But at the same time, these disruptive technologies have to be seamlessly integrated in models of care. They, they are not to disrupt the existing model of care. They are to be more, especially at the beginning, adjuvants to the majority of standardized treatments and management pathways that we have right now. The selection of the right candidate is a big issue in regenerative medicine. As just mentioned, the field is still in its infancy. And one of the areas definitely of focus is identifying and predicting who will be ultimately the responders versus the non-responders. Because the initial clinical experience is clearly suggesting that we have mixed outcomes. And so as much as on one hand, we are optimizing the regenerative therapeutic itself, at the same time, it's important to develop means to very clearly predict outcome. And there will be a, a critical effort in that space. Here at the Mayo Clinic, we have built a, a portal through uh, services in general internal medicine that serve as an initial area where the regenerative workup can happen. And then working with various specialties, patients can be seen in other areas depending on, on their condition. What specialties are you most involved with in recruiting patients? The recruitments historically has been linked to clinical trials. Clinical trials have been a way to attract especially new patients to the Mayo Clinic. So areas that the regenerative medicine intense uh, will include uh, the musculoskeletal space, orthopedic surgery being a, a driver, physical medicine, sports medicine being a driver. The neurosurgical fields that have been already mentioned are, are very keen uh, together with uh, neurology and neurosciences in general. Increasingly, we see interest in uh, women health being uh, uh, very important areas that uh, new offerings are also being uh, put forward. And obviously the whole area of cancer care being probably the most dominant right now. So how close do you think we are to the internist or family physician or primary care provider sitting in their office and just ordering treatment through regenerative medicine? How far away is that? Already, in, in certain cases, these have become proven therapies. But also what we have to keep in mind is what Dr. Meyer uh, suggested, which is very important, is means to boost innate healing capacity. Physical exercise has been mentioned. Indeed, it's one of the proven uh, ways of regenerating, essentially, a number of, of, of tissues. So already... I think practitioners are very keen in introducing uh, a spectrum, I will say, of uh, regenerative management options that may not necessarily be a, a biologic, but may be a, a more broader spectrum 
of tools that ultimately lead to restoring form and function. The main advancements in the field is not to think that this regenerative product will be simply replacing a, a dead tissue, but actually the main way of, of, of action is by promoting healing from within. Dr. Terzik, I wanted to ask you to build on that a little, if I might ask a question. You know, many people would suggest hip arthroplasty or knee arthroplasty or the artificial disc is a type of regenerative technologies in a sense. It's not biologic, it's mechanical. And you can even, if you wanted to extend it, you could say if you had a stenting of a coronary blockage, that's somehow, regenerative is a structure of the word. But what I'm looking for is, could you talk a little for a moment about how biologic regenerative uh, techniques may augment synthetic techniques like a stent or a joint repair? Because I think there's an interposition there that's probably of interest. Yeah, I, I think through the evolution of, of these regenerative technologies, that came very clear, that interlinking between spaces has become very dominant. And so where Dr. Meyer is, is highlighting is essentially, let's say you have a device, but you could biopotentiate the device to be even more regenerative in nature. Let's say a 3D scaffold that typically surgeons are using to simply replace the missing piece can be biopotentiated if you seed it, let's say with stem cells, and suddenly you have a biologically active 3D implant. We have seen that being used, for example, in hemilaryngectomies, where a patient with uh, larynx cancer is treated by removal, let's say, of half of the larynx and replacement with a 3D printed synthetic larynx that has been seeded on top of that with a regenerative biologic. So, so that definitely maximizes ultimately the, the outcome. And these type of technologies we will be seeing more and more going forward. I can see where regenerative medicine may also have a major impact on organ transplantation, where organ availability has really limited that. I would think this will take the burden off of some of that. Absolutely. There, there are two thinking in that space. One thinking is existing regenerative options may delay, let's say, the need for transplant. That's one way to see it. But the other is more the direction you have been suggesting is essentially de novo organogenesis, also known as neo-organogenesis, where you actually create new organs. And there is a lot of effort in the transplant field to do that especially with, with some more amenable organs. Mm -hmm. Are there any commonly held misperceptions or misconceptions about regenerative medicine? I think some we have already touched in the sense that the field historically has been felt to be very focused on stem cells. And uh, equal sign has been sometimes been put between stem cell medicine and regenerative medicine. But we, we realize that the toolkit is much, much broader. On one hand, we have a growing number of biologics beyond stem cells, let's say you can now extract the active ingredient out of the stem cell. So we speak of regenerative particles or exosomes, which will allow the field to grow uh, very fast because they are more scalable and cost-effective. You also see obviously development in tissue engineering, bioengineering, cytoengineering, where cell cells are being engineered but also the combination or hybrid type of solutions that Dr. Meyer mentioned where you combine a device with a biologic. So, so the field 
we'll see a, a growing and broadening toolkit. And that, that's why we'll see more specialties being involved over time. Mm-hmm. It seems like most of the uh, indications for regenerative medicine involve chronic disease, often in our older patients. Is there any applicability to using regenerative medicine in children, in young patients? Very much so. And, and very rightly, as you point out, the whole driver for the regenerative field has been the aging of the population and how we can address the gap between health span and lifespan and extend essentially a disease-free life. That was the original concept with regenerative medicine. But these technologies are very much now applicable to younger populations. For example, in orthopedic surgery, there is a condition known as avascular necrosis of the hip. And although we could intervene in these patients with hip replacement, uh, these are so young patients that you will need many hip replacements over life. And so if there is a way to salvage the bone will be a huge success. And so there are now regenerative approaches for avascular necrosis of the hip as one example. But increasingly, let's say with congenital conditions, uh, shortly after birth, you can now intervene with some regenerative techniques, let's say in diseases such as hypoplastic left heart syndrome. There are a number of clinical trials ongoing here at the Mayo Clinic. And even before birth, so-called in utero regeneration, where uh, the division here of fetal maternal uh, surgery as part of gynecology obstetrics has built a number of service lines, for example, for congenital diaphragmatic hernia or even for spina bifida, where they are using regenerative principles to intervene very, very early. Well, Dr. Meyer, I know we're going to devote a whole podcast to education in regenerative medicine, but let me ask, you know, I trained with the Mayo Brothers, so um, we didn't uh, have any uh, education in this topic. Are students today getting educated in this field? Uh, the short answer is yes. At our uh, Mayo Clinic Alk School of Medicine, there's uh, devoted time to this subject uh, in uh, the first and second year. It's a voluntary sign-up for what we call selectives, but a large portion of the student body signs up for that. Clearly, there's a lot of interest. What we have introduced is a master's degree program in regenerative sciences or regenerative medicine that's available not just to our medical students, but also to our residents, fellows, and faculty. And, and at least at Mayo, I'm very excited to uh, tell you that we now have a Ph.D., program specifically in the science, a new graduate school track. So I think that emphasizes uh, or highlights rather that education in the specific domain is an expanding and burgeoning effort with a lot of learner interest. Yep, sounds like it. Well, finally, can I ask you to summarize maybe in uh, two or three key points of importance regarding regenerative medicine? I think it's very critical as the enthusiasm is growing at many levels that we continue to be very rigorous and very stringent in uh, working with approved regenerative therapies. There is a blossoming of unproved therapies being used throughout the nation and beyond. And I think it's up to the, the medical profession to be extremely rigorous right now. And so the responsible uptake of regenerative science into regenerative care models is, I think, the most critical element right now. 
Well, we've been discussing an introduction to regenerative medicine with Dr. Andre Terzig and Dr. Frederick Meyer from the Mayo Clinic. Thank you both for giving us a glimpse into this amazing innovation in medical care. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week. Music